1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're barreling towards March. Regular season for most folks ends in, oh, nine days or so. Talking women's hoops on the Friday edition of CSN. And, well, we got a special guest right now. Megan Gower is in the big easy, starting some bachelorette party shenanigans. So if you're cruising down Bourbon Street later tonight, you hear someone screaming at anyone who will listen that Iowa's defense. It's a hindrance. Lucy Olsen is underappreciated. Or if you just see someone berating a bartender to put the TV on the Pac-12 network because USC is playing Colorado, go say hi to Megan Gower. She's off having a great time. Mercifully. You're not just going to hear me ramble for the next 45 minutes to an hour. Special guest, co-host of the Coast to Coast podcast on our hoop stats, Illinois State Redbird aficionado, Calvin Wetzel. Calvin, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> I
2: appreciate you having me, Rob. I, I have to say, you described Megan Gower perfectly. Uh, I, I, I'm going to do my best to fill in, but that is, that is exactly what Megan's going to be doing tonight, I'm sure. Uh, I'm glad to be on. I love listening to you guys on the pod,
1: so. You understand the shoes you have to fill because when we were were talking earlier this week, like Megan knows everything. I don't have to like, I don't have to prep too much for, she does not have to prep too much for her. I have to do, I I have lots of notes in front of me because I'm just trying to keep up. Um, Lots to get to. We'll recap the games that have happened this week. We're going to get a reset of sorts. Conference races, mostly coming down to the wire, unless you follow the sec or the big East and everywhere I look a team on the bubble is losing because, uh, Well, it's late February, and these games matter, and things are great. Uh, Calvin, where do you want to begin? I guess we'll probably start last night. The big result, Indiana finally, finally gets a marquee victory at home over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, Do you have any takeaways overall from Hoosiers far and away biggest win of the year?
2: I I do. You know, I I, I know we we talked beforehand how we we weren't necessarily going to get into much of of the film of it and things like that, but... I have to tell you, I watched a little bit of the film this morning because, like you said, Illinois State fan. I was at the Illinois State game last night. Got home in time to watch UCLA. Didn't see this game. So I had to watch a little bit of the film. First thing I see, Indiana's thrown a little bit of a box and one at him. So I'm thinking, okay, Iowa, were you not ready for this? Because you had to know people were going to watch what Nebraska did in that fourth quarter to Iowa with the diamond and one. And what Maryland did has done to Iowa in the past, that you're going to see this at some point. And, and I, I, Granted, I've only watched a little bit of the film so far. I, I don't know exactly how they did the whole game against the box and one, but they scored 69 points. Iowa doesn't come up short of 70 very often, so obviously they didn't do that well against it. I don't know why I was not ready for this and how they can't figure out the box and one, but if I'm a tournament team, a, a team that's going to be facing them in the early rounds and really... Going to be heavy underdogs, fifteen seed or, or even you know seven, eight, nine, ten in the second round. I'm starting to practice the box one right now.
1: Fair enough. I mean it's one of those nights, right? Caitlin Clark wasn't magnificent, eight of twenty six overall, three of sixteen from beyond the arc. But you know she's going to get hers. It's always pretty much been, can everyone else step up? Kate Martin, she, yeah, she had nineteen. She was zero of six from beyond the arc. Everyone else, let me do some basic math here. Two of what, fifteen or so, maybe a little less than that. So it's always been, you know, sure, let Caitlin get 25, let her get 30, let her get 35. You can stop everyone else. You have a good chance of at least staying in the game with Iowa. And now that's that's five straight games they've allowed 80 plus. So you're talking about the offensive end. I'm worried about the defensive end because Iowa's never had a great defense, right? But you can get away with giving up seventy-five. Heck, you can give away get away with scoring eighty on a lot of nights. You're just doing it all the time leaves you so susceptible, especially in a one-and-done scenario. One time, Caitlin Clark goes three of sixteen from beyond the arc, and you don't get help from anyone else. That's all it takes in March.
2: Yeah, you you said it. You know, and, and you can get away with with giving up eighty if if either one of those things happens. If if Caitlin goes off for forty-five. You'll probably still be okay, or, or if your supporting cast really steps up, maybe Hannah Stolke goes off for 47, like we saw one time. You, you're probably going to be okay. But on nights like last night, they hold Caitlin to four points in the second half, 24 overall, which is a great night for most players. for For Caitlin, 24s pretty big off night. Yeah. And you hold the supporting cast to what do you say, two for 17 from three
1: or something? It, yeah, I, I I'm bad at quick math, but yeah, the, they everyone else hit two threes the entire night, and that's just not Iowa.
2: Yeah, that it's not going to get it done. Your your defense playing the way it is the last couple weeks. Now I will say I was defense before February this year, I I think had actually been not not great, but good enough. Better, yes, yeah, better. better than I what agree. They were, yeah. I think they've gotten better every year that Caitlin's been there, and and I think they were playing good enough defense for the first couple months of the season to to carry their offense what it is. You know, to the Final Four. But the last couple of weeks, granted tougher schedule offensively. They played Maryland, Penn State, two teams who can really push, get out and run a lot more offensive teams. Obviously, going on the road to Indiana is a tough matchup. But what their defense has been the last couple of weeks is not the same, and what their defense has been the last couple of weeks is not good enough to get it done on nights when Caitlin isn't dropping forty, and your supporting cast is only hitting two threes. You can't you can't have all of those happen on the same night.
1: Yeah, obviously, bet against her next month. At your own peril. And it's, you know, it's fine to give up 93 to Penn State when you score 111. You know, it's fine to give up 89 to Michigan when you put up 106. It just, it just takes one night. Uh, Indiana side don't know what to make of this week for the Hoosiers. Look so good last night. Now they're undefeated at home, so they're a different animal at Assembly Hall. After Monday, a blowout loss at Illinois, a game they were never really in. They were what a four seed last week from the committee. I don't know what the committee does with them come next week because this is as you know as, as impressive a win as anyone's had all year, coming off a wildly uninspiring loss to a team that isn't going to make the tournament.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting you bring up that they're undefeated at home because they were four seed and they they're kind of on that bubble right now for four or five, which is going to be a big deal for them uh, because if you get that four seed, you get to play at home where, like you said, they haven't lost. So this was a really Really, really big win for them. Obviously, that that Illinois loss almost certainly would have knocked them off that host line and probably down to the five range. But this is the type of win that can ball you right back up into that top 16 where they really want to be. It. it I, I'm glad I'm not on the committee because I don't know what to do with this week either. I do think the Illinois loss could end up being one of those blessings in disguises for them when you look back. Uh, I think that's the type of loss because so far, up to that point this season, they had basically taken care of business. And actually, I got on a podcast that day, said that Indiana's taking care of business against every team that they should, and just hadn't beaten a top tier team yet. And then, of course, by the time the podcast was out, that wasn't true anymore. They lost to Illinois by 20, but up to that point, they didn't have a loss like this. They they had a beat down to Stanford, beat down to Iowa, but their losses were to these top 10 caliber teams. Then they go and lose the way they did to Illinois. I, I think that that wakes something up inside of you when you realize we're vulnerable to teams that maybe we might face in the first weekend of the tournament. We need to, we need to make some adjustments here And and we saw it against
1: Iowa. They showed up. Yeah. Now I think they probably cancel each other out. Right. Which for them, that's, that's probably fine. If they don't move up, they don't move down. That's fine. You're, you're still a top 16 team. Obviously, don't lose at Northwestern. Win at home against Maryland and probably get to the championship game. Don't necessarily have to win. And you're probably all but wrapped up a top 16 seed, which is really the goal at this point. Right. Right now, um, especially after last year, like I'm sure they want to go back home undo that home loss last year to miami in the second round what do you thought of the black unis by the way i hated them really i i, I kind of
2: like them i like the black uni I, just, not just theirs actually in general i think when teams go to their alternate black black unis i think i think a lot of teams do it really well
1: i think i think i saw something that the men are never going to wear them again because they lost big but now indiana like you gotta keep gotta keep them right
2: yeah, even if they, you know, regardless of whether you like how they look or not, you win like that, you got to wear them again.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, it carries on the road, it's black, and then you could just have another blackout at home senior day against Maryland and then go from there. Uh, so, with that, the Big Ten is comfortably, say comfortably given how little time there is, Ohio State's, who continued Penn State's woes. I don't know if you caught any of this game. 13 uh, nothing, basically out of the gate. It was like 17-2. to Ohio State never threatened by a Penn State team that went from 16 and 5 and pretty firmly into the field. And now suddenly, NCAA tournament's looking shaky. Uh, we can talk about the Ohio State side because this is a team I loved in the preseason. Thought that, you know, I put them in my final four in the preseason. They come out, they lose three games early on. People kind of write them off. They're hovering there. Late teams. I don't know if they dropped as far as 20 in the rankings. And now here they are. They've won however many in a row. They're 23 and 3. And they're not just beating teams, they're killing teams.
2: Absolutely. This is a team that has completely flipped a switch, and Cody McMahon has flipped a switch. And I think she's someone who a lot of people like you who were high on them in the preseason, and I was too, really thought that Cody McMahon was going to take that sophomore leap after what we saw last year as a freshman. And then in in the first couple months, she she regressed, if anything, or or at the very least, didn't really take that next step forward. And now we're seeing that. We're seeing her kind of figure it out. Here down the stretch of the season, which which is amazing for Buckeye fans. Because to me, when you look at maybe just February or just just late January and February, this is probably the team with the best chance to beat South Carolina. And I say that knowing that no one actually has a good chance to beat South Carolina. There's a huge gap. But if if anyone, I think if if you put South Carolina against every team in the country right now, who do I think has the best shot today? A month ago, I wouldn't have said this. I think it's Ohio State. I think they're playing phenomenal basketball. They deserve their AP number two ranking right now. And like you said, barring some sort of uh, slip up here, the Big Ten is there. It really, the Big Ten is theirs outright. Even if they slip up, they should be able to get a share of the Big Ten at this point. They take care of business. The Big Ten is going to be theirs outright. And it might be theirs outright before they even play that game at Iowa, which at, you know to finish the regular season, which was looking like it might be a game to determine. The Big Ten champion, but now it's looking like Ohio State
1: might wrap it up before that. Yes, a game and a half lead with three to go. So if they beat Maryland this weekend, I think they'd wrap up a share. And that they play Maryland and Michigan at home the next two games. Given the way things have gone, you'd expect them to win both of those. Uh, And you're right. If that's the case, they go two and zero in the next two games. That game at Carver Hawkeye doesn't have quote unquote implications in terms of Big Ten seeding or you know Ohio State. If they lo- lose at Carver Hawkeye, barring them losing by 35 points, they'll be in line for a one seed, you would imagine, uh, heading to India, Minneapolis this year, Big Ten tournaments in Minneapolis. So the preseason Buckeyes finally looking the part um, and doing it at the right time of year. Again, Nittany Lions haven't made the tournament since 2014. They're 16 and 11 now after starting 16 and 5. Uh, and things are suddenly shaky for a Big Ten conference that. I don't know. Megan's the bracketologist; she knows better than me. Looking at like eight bids, like Ohio State, Iowa, Indiana, in Nebraska's probably in. Michigan State's probably in. I've been hard on Maryland all year. The Terps have done what they've needed to do, and then you have teams like Minnesota and Penn State and Michigan. Um, do you have any thoughts? You're you're more of a Big Ten guy than than I am, especially with some of these smaller teams. Like I don't know a whole lot about Nebraska, as we learned a couple weeks ago uh michigan state minnesota do you have any thoughts on these kind of mid-tier big 10 teams that are tournament good but they're just not you know they're not in the picture for a top 16
2: yeah i'm glad you brought up nebraska you know i'm i uh i agree with you that i think they're in i'm surprised to hear you not say that you think they're a wnit team because i last week on the pod I, I heard you say that you were going to be nebraska's villain so i thought you'd yes, come on here and put but, them in the wnit at, oh that's right
1: at a cost if I, if I get you're swag, right. I, I, will, I will happily. So what did they do? That's right. I already <laughs> forgot. Uh, since I said they had no chance to beat Purdue, they beat them. No chance to beat Northwestern, beat them handily. Oh, Minnesota at home. Oh, gopher's going to come in and get that win. Keep it up, Nebraska. <laughs> Keep it up. I'm, again, happy to be the resident hater as long as there's a payoff for me at the end when you're cutting down nets.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I agree with you though, Nebraska's in. I think I think Minnesota team you brought up, that's the team that, that's in trouble here because Mara Braun looks like she's done for the year. You know, they haven't officially said that. Uh, Sophie Hart, same deal, uh, down two starters and they have not looked good the last couple weeks without them, uh, you know, Hart just missed the last game, but without Peron especially. So I, I think this is a team that's been careening towards the bubble and they're going to careen right past it. This is a team I do think is actually going to end up, you know, Dawn Plitzowite has done a great job in year one. And and I would love to see her get into the tournament. I I think she's done a fantastic job, but I'm not sure if I see it. I think this team's in trouble (laughs) with the injuries and it's no one's fault. Injuries have been the story, unfortunately, across the country this year for a lot of teams and you hate to see it. Uh, but if, if there's going to be one of those eight teams that you mentioned who, who falls off the bubble on the wrong side of it, I think it's Minnesota.
1: Yeah, they've lost seven of eight. The win was Northwestern last weekend. like Bad loss at Rutgers. They went 0-2 against Wisconsin in that stretch. They closed at Nebraska, home to Iowa, at Penn State. Those are three difficult games, two on the road, and then obviously the Hawkeyes are the Hawkeyes, so a lot of work to do there. However, that's also three opportunities to improve your resume, albeit shorthanded. Uh, Michigan lost to Michigan State. I think that kind of knocks them out of the picture. And then again, Penn State. So there's there's your Big Ten part of the conversation. The other conference that dominates Thursdays generally, ACC. Uh, Virginia Tech is suddenly looking like a team, kind of like last year, a lot like last year. They're kind of flying under the radar for a couple of months. And then February hits, and that duo of Kitley and Amor, they got that thing humming once again at the right time.
2: Yeah, I I saw in the doc when you, when you prepped me here that that you asked who's the best team in the ACC, and I thought you know you could probably ask me every day of the week, and I, I might different give answer. you seven different answers. Yeah, but my answer today is going to be Virginia Tech. I'm going to agree with you on that. I think they're playing their best basketball at the right time here, and like you said, like last year. Uh, not quite the level of Ohio State, but a little bit similar in terms of some of those slip ups early on. And, and now they're really clicking. Uh, I think Georgia Amor is a March player. I think Georgia Amore, we saw it last year, and I think we're going to see it again this year. in her senior year uh, is is going to be one of those players who, when you get into the tournament, teams aren't going to know how to stop her. That step back, it's it's nasty. So I I would have the NC State as a close second. I'm still not sure if I'm a believer in Louisville or not. They keep proving me wrong. So. We'll, we'll see how they do. I know that's sort of been the top three for a while. Uh, but this is a, one of those conferences where the conference tournament, the seven seed, the eight seed, the six seed might just go win this thing. Because who anybody can beat anybody.
1: Yeah, Duke starting last night was the eight seed or would have been if the tournament started yesterday. And they went to the carrier, or the JMA Wireless Dome. Sorry, I can't call it that the carrier dome. And dominated Syracuse from start to finish. And that game was never close. And they're the eighth seed. You're right. Would it shock me if they went on a run? Absolutely not. Uh, in terms of Virginia Tech, Amor is one of those players that I don't care if she's 11 of 12 shooting or one of 12 shooting. If you're down too late and the ball's in her hands, you just trust her. And there aren't that many players in the country who can say that. Obviously, Caitlin Clark. Amor's there. I think Haley Van Lith. Uh, is largely there, like a March type player, where you know if you need it, you're going to get it. Paige Beckers is probably there. It's, it's a very short list, and then I'll put Juju Watkins
2: in there as well, although not that we've yeah. seen her in March yet. But from what we've seen, definitely,
1: yeah, absolutely. And then you have the person who I think is a first team All American and a two time National Player or ACC Player of the Year, who like never gets talked about, and Elizabeth Kitley just goes out every night. Especially during this nine game win streak, and puts up like 23 and 15, 25 and 11, 30 and 14. And like no one talks about her, and she's phenomenal and she's an unstoppable force. And now they're starting to get just enough, I think, from your Kayla Kings, from your Matilda X, you know, Louisville over the weekend. It was Carly Wenzel. Like they don't need to score 20 points, but if two or three of them can score like six, eight, nine points apiece— then I think that brings Virginia Tech to a whole nother level, given how well the two superstars are playing.
2: Absolutely, and I think that's what they were trying to figure out early on in the season, especially in some of those bigger games. A little bit like Indiana, where they were taking care of business, but but some of those bigger games that that they weren't showing up in the same way against, against Iowa, against LSU. And now, now they're starting to piece that together. And then you throw in, like you said, Elizabeth Kitley, who – it's so one of those players, you just kind of know what's coming and you can't stop it. You you know, she's whatever, eight feet tall, and she's going to hit you with that <laughs> fadeaway. And what are you going to do about it? It's going in. Yeah. So when you have that and, and then Georgia Amore gets playing off that, it's it's a really tough beast to stop.
1: I think the whole year, if you would have asked me who's the best team in the conference, I would have said NC State until probably last week. And NC State lost last night to North Carolina. Heels kind of led throughout, never put it away until the fourth quarter, Win by 10. I think I finally figured out my thoughts on the Wolfpack. They're very good offensively, but they're not elite elite. They're very good defensively, but again, they're just not elite elite. So that, that means your floor is super high because most nights, one, if not both are going to show up. But since I, I just don't think they have the ceiling of, some of these other top 10 teams that I think at the end of the day, like they can go cold just enough where I'm concerned, or they can give up 80 like they did last night, just enough where I think like, can they put it together for four games in a row for five games in a row, six games in a row? And I think I'm not there. Yeah. You
2: know, I, I agree with that take about their, they're very balanced in terms of their offense and their defense. No question. And, That's going to be the question for them when when it comes to March and really when it comes to the ACC tournament, too. I think we're going to get a good feel for whether your take is right or not before we even get into the NCAA tournament, because we're going to get to see them play in this back to back to back scenario against good teams. You know, some of these conference tournaments, you're really not going to face anyone of your caliber, anyone who can knock you off until either the championship or the final four in NC State's case in the ACC tournament, like we said, you're talking about, what, seven, eight, nine teams who can beat anybody on any given night. So it's going to be an all out war from day one of that tournament. We're going to see how they fare in this back to back to back scenario. And if they can be consistent and show up day after day, you know, throughout the week or throughout the weekend. And, And if if they prove that they can, then, yeah, this is a dangerous team in March. No question. And this is a team. Probably not going to get upset in the first weekend, but do they have potential to go in and, and pull an upset later in the tournament if they play like a South Carolina, for example? I don't know. That that would be a fun matchup with the Sunaya Rivers angle, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Just pulled up the ACC bracket. Right now, NC State would be the three seed. If they were to play the sixth seed in the quarterfinals, it'd be North Carolina beat them last night, squeaked by, Uh, they were able to squeak by the Tar Heels at home last month. So yeah, you're right. ACC tournament of all the tournaments, Megan and I will break them down in a couple weeks. I think this one has the most chaos potential. I think it's the most fun of the tournaments because Big Ten's probably up there too. Um, but as we move to some of these other conferences, like no one can compare, I think, to just just the sheer number of teams in the ACC. I mean, what are your takes on Syracuse who, I don't want to say laid an egg last night. They may have been in line come next week to be a top 16 team. Probably won't now after the loss. But that's a team that, like, they're in second place in the conference. And, you know, we talk about Virginia Tech. We talk about NC State. We talk about Hannah Hidalgo with Notre Dame and all these exciting teams and players. And then Syracuse, all year, just been chilling there. Second place, pretty much. Do you have takes on the Orange? Thoughts?
2: Yeah, and the exciting players that you just mentioned we talked about. Another one that we probably don't talk about enough is De'Aja Fair. averaging 22 points a game, and, and she's uh, – actually, I, I didn't even look if she moved into fifth yesterday. She did. Yep, fifth she place on the all-time right. scoring list. Fifth place, yeah. We we talk about Kaitlyn Clark moving into first, rightfully so. We got another top five player active right now that isn't getting enough love for it. And uh, I, th- I think people need to give Deja Fair some flowers because she's obviously one of the best scorers of all time transferred from Buffalo a couple of years ago, followed coach Felicia legit Jack here from Buffalo to Syracuse, who is another new coach year two Who's done an outstanding job and she has really carried this team. There's, there's talent around her, no question, but what she's done and at her size too, I think she's five, five, I want to say against uh, you know, a power conference gauntlet of a slate that you see in the ACC and the defenses that teams throw at her. It's it's remarkable to watch it, what she's been able to do, and she's another player who can really get going. Some some of the greatest March runs that we ever see are not, you know, the most the most memorable ones that you can think of throughout the years are are not even necessarily a team really coming together. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's a player just decides I'm going to be legendary for like three straight weeks, and Deasia Fair oh, is year. certainly. One of those. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's
1: certainly one of those players who, who could go on a run like that. I think what's most impressive. How many times now in this new portal era, have we seen mid-major player scores a bunch and pick your mid-major conference goes to the power conference and not to say they're bad players, but they, you know, they're not putting up nearly the numbers that they were at their previous school. I mean, even I don't want to pick on her. She leads the team in scoring Kiki Jefferson averaged what, like 24 ish a game last year at JMU. Dip down to 13 this year for the Cardinals. Still, even that, she's probably their best player. But to be able to maintain that level of you know, 22 a night on average for fair, like that's something that I don't think is appreciated enough because you know, the, the step up in competition, especially in the ACC, where sure, you have your wakes, your pits, your Boston colleges. But outside of that, like, you're playing eight other tournament teams more often than not. Um, Speaking of tournament teams, Miami, probably still in. I looked at Megan's bracketology yesterday, still in as a nine seed. Don't lose by 17 at Virginia. Bad loss for the ACC. Who? Still, they're going to get eight bids in. Um, There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card
0: member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Anything else from yesterday in particular? Oh, yes. Pac-12 never plays on Thursdays, so I overlooked it um, initially. UCLA. Looks like UCLA again after what they did to Utah last night.
2: Yeah, that is the game I did get back in time to watch. And, and Lauren Betts being back is is a huge deal for them. Pac-12 never plays on Thursdays. They also seem to never have blowouts like this among the top six or seven. Obviously, you get down to yeah. your Oregon's, your Arizona State's. It's a different story. But the Pac-12 is is got a little bit of ACC, just not quite as deep. But when you look at the top half of the conference, I mean, these are all teams who have spent some time in the top 10, top 15 this year. And we see how many games have we seen overtime, last second? So I was a little bit surprised to see Utah kind of get run out of the gym the way they did. But you're right. The story is UCLA, Lauren Betts missed some time. Obviously, UCLA got up to their highest ranking in school history at one point, number two fell off a little bit with Lauren Betts back now and, and kind of has her feet under her and, and looking like she did early in the season. This is another one of those teams that could absolutely compete right there in that next tier below South Carolina for for a Final Four spot.
1: Five losses already. They, they play Colorado, obviously, next. I don't know who they close with. All right, the Arizona schools. So thinking maybe one. Maybe two more losses. Seven probably is too many to, to justify them as a one seed. But Boy, that could be a scary two seed because I think at their peak, which it looks like they're starting to refine that form. They're as healthy now as they're going to be, um, barring some sort of setback with anyone. I think their ceiling is higher than anyone not named South Carolina, just for that you know, Kiki Rice outside. Chrisma Osborne. Veteran experience. Lauren Betts, sure, just a sophomore, just like Rice. So dominant down low. Stanford, I think, is the only team that can hit that peak in the Pac-12 with the way UCLA is playing right now. Uh, Utah, meanwhile, what are they? Her hoop stats composite ranking, they've now dipped down to nine. Like They're still ninth in the composite rankings. The metrics love them. I think they've been one of the bigger disappointments this year, just given the expectations. Um, Alyssa Peely's great. Don't get me wrong. And they just, they just haven't reached the heights of last year. Still time, obviously, but I just, I think that they, they're one of the more disappointing teams from the preseason.
2: Yeah, you're right. And you know, they're a team that still has that ceiling of say those top teams in the back 12 that you talk about. And on the best night, Utah looks like nobody can beat them. This team is one of three teams to stay within single digits of South Carolina. So we, we can talk about their ceiling and, and uh, the metrics that, that love them might be right. But when you look at their floor, like what we saw last night, they have a floor that is very concerning if you're a Utah fan. And, you know, you have to talk about when you look at what they were last year and we expected them to take a step up and, and maybe they haven't They even stepped back. Obviously, you have to talk about Gianna Niepkins, who they lost to injury early yeah. in the season. Uh, and then last night jenna johnson left the game uh, in the middle of the game and so we'll see if she comes back uh for their next game i think she got stitches i I heard someone say so it it sounds like it wasn't any type of serious injury uh but obviously last night they were playing even more shorthanded but still i uh, uh, 30 points it's 30 points so yeah uh, granted when you look at their front court it's not big and it's not deep. So when you lose your center, who's 6'2 and already giving up five inches to Lauren Betts anyway, you're going to have some problems. Uh, well, like I said, hopefully she comes back for them. And I do think this is a team that on the right night can compete with basically anybody in the country. But yeah, on the, the wrong night. UCLA earlier. They did. Exactly. Exactly. And like we said, competed with South Carolina. But on the wrong night, this could be a team that exits in round two.
1: Top of the Pac-12. Actually, you know what? Talk about these close games. Let's rewind one week. We had Scott Ruick on the show, head coach of Oregon State. We talked to him last Thursday. And then last Friday, while we're talking UCLA, game of the finish of the year in college basketball, men or women's, that final, you didn't even need to watch the first 39 minutes and 50 seconds. The last 10 seconds of Oregon State-UCLA. Phenomenal theater. If you're not a fan of advancing the ball, just watch watch the three-minute videos that are going around on social media and tell me you don't like advancing the ball. That was great.
2: That, that's exactly what I was going to say, Rob, is that anybody who is trying to convince someone else of the timeout-advance-the-ball rule needs to just clip that 10 seconds and send it to them. And that's your argument. That case case closed. But you're right. This, this is exactly what I was talking about. It feels like any Pac-12 game that doesn't go to overtime between these top half – finishes in some sort of fashion like this game and it was we game winner no wait no it wasn't because we got another game winner over here no wait but then we got another one over here but we're still not done we, we saw basically four game winners in the last 10 seconds of this game i i wish we had you know usually i'm like the guy who who nerds out on the stats and looks stuff up i don't actually know how to look this one up but i wish we had like a whole stats team that could look this up for us what's the most lead changes in a, in a game in the last eight seconds because Four lead changes in eight seconds.
1: yeah. You just don't see it. You just don't see it. It was, like you said, the game of the year. Uh, Reagan Beers did exit that game, and then she didn't play on Sunday in Oregon State's loss at home to USC. That's kind of an ugly game. 58-50. I love the Beavers. I take pretty much no merit in Sunday's loss. Sure, bad shooting night for pretty much everyone. Assuming Reagan Beers comes back, if not this weekend, I haven't actually looked up her status, but as long as she's back for the tournament, I think the Beavers, I don't know if they're at the Stanford and peak UCLA level um, on a neutral floor. Obviously at home, it's different, but on a neutral floor, Pac-12 tournament, NCAA tournament, whatever, I don't think it's as high, but boy, I still think maybe last week was the wake-up call because everyone saw it. think last week might have been the wake-up call that yes Oregon State isn't just a a fluke team that had a couple of nice weekends this is I think one of the probably seven or eight best teams in the country yeah when they're healthy when when
2: Beers comes back and and they still have Talia Von Olhoff and who who hit the last game winner I think she hit both for Oregon State uh obviously who who can really do some great things and we've seen her step up a lot but Reagan Beers, uh, t- to your point about the status, I don't know her status for this weekend either, but she has uh, a broken nose. I've seen yes, that she's broken nose day-to-day,
1: may or may day-to-day, not play, according to what
2: I just read. If she does play, probably going to have the mask. So I hope we get to see her this weekend, regardless if we see her this weekend or next weekend. I think we're going to get to see mask Reagan Beers. And sometimes, I don't know what it is. I feel like sometimes players, when they got the mask, just go off. I, oh, feel like I don't even superpower. know if it's true. Yeah, exactly. it's like the superhero mask. So I, I feel like Reagan Beers is going to come back, whether it's tonight, later this weekend, next weekend, 30-piece.
1: First game in the mask. <laughs> you here. Uh, they did come off a loss to USC. Juju is great. Don't get me wrong. This isn't bashing one of the 10 best players in the country as a freshman. She kind of had the night they won, so I also can't criticize it too much. She had a kind of night that people think Caitlin Clark has all the time, and that one assist, six of 32. That's the part that concerns me about USC, even in a win, is that when she has an off night, the difference is Caitlin Clark had nine assists last night. I understand they lost. And 10 rebounds. Juju is six of 32. Like, Where's anything else coming from with this USC team? Yeah,
2: they're, they're going to need Mackenzie Forbes, obviously, to step up on those nights. And it was really their defense that carried them to the win, like you said, 58-50. But, uh, you know, to be in, in Juju's defense, like, Caitlin Clark probably had more of those nights her freshman year than she did. Yeah, yeah that's, fair. that's uh, fair. And so, you know, she's just getting started. I, th- I think Juju's going to be the best player in the country maybe as soon as next year, assuming Caitlin Clark comes out. But... The fact that USC is able to win on nights even when she doesn't have it, because when she does have it, forget it. When she's she right. dropped 51 on the road at Stanford, which is about as good of a scoring performance as you're ever going to see from a freshman, maybe from any player ever, considering the context, who you're playing, where you're playing. When she has it, like nights like that, forget it. It's over. So for USC to be able to dig down on defense and find enough to get a win over a very good, Although, like you said, short-handed Oregon State team, even on a night when Juju doesn't have it, I think says a lot about this team. And I, th- I think it is a good defensive team. I think that's the thing with Juju too that is different from Caitlin Clark and especially from freshman year Caitlin Clark, because we've seen her develop. Obviously, is is the defense. I think Juju has come in and and already as a freshman been a very very good defender and someone who probably doesn't get as much love for her defense because she drops 30 all the time, drops 50 on Stanford, has these crazy shooting nights, but even on an off night, she's going to bring it on the defensive end. Uh, I believe she's on the top 15 watch list for defensive player of the year. If I remember correctly, might be wrong about that. I need to go back and check that, but that's, uh, that's definitely someone who Juju's definitely someone who can give you contributions, even when her, Sort of offensive box score that you read off there doesn't look very pretty. Yeah,
1: and you know she doesn't have the gaudy steals numbers that like Hannah Hidalgo has, another freshman who comes in and yeah, well no one does. Hannah right, exactly what, plays five, phenomenal five, defense, I so I that think, probably lead it in the country. So I mean, it's hard to not lead in the country when you have what hundred and twenty something steals, and it's mid February. It's wild. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stanford, we haven't talked really Stanford. They can wrap up a share of the Pac-12 this weekend with a couple of wins. That two-headed monster of Brink and Arafan, they're they're probably going to go to Vegas winners of 10 in a row. At the very least, 9 of 10. They do have to go to Oregon State next week. But, you know, we're spending all this time looking at all these newcomers the past few years. UCLA's on the rise. USC's on the rise. Oregon State is back after a down year. We talked about Utah. All these great teams. And at the end of the day, there's Stanford at the top. Like once again, it's almost like we take it for granted. It,
2: it does feel like that, doesn't it? And you know, part of it is that the Pac-12, two through, say, seven, has stepped up so much this year in, in its swan song that there's so much more attention going around to the UCLA's and the, the Juju's uh, in, in Colorado, who we haven't even talked about. But in, in Oregon State, the list goes on. But Stanford is, if it's possible to quietly be as good as they are, they're kind of doing it. They're quietly still the best team among that group. They're quietly maybe the second best team in the country. I said maybe Ohio State is. I think Stanford's right there. I don't think number two is clear. Stanford's obviously top four at worst. Uh, and, and they're quietly a team that, you know, and maybe it's not that quiet. I mean, Tar Vanderveer getting a lot of attention, obviously, for – Having the most wins all time, uh, Cameron Brink, you know, might be the defensive player of the year, leads the country in blocks, probably going to go number two overall in the WNBA draft. But in terms of how good they are and, and the attention that they've gotten in past years, uh, I it does feel in a weird way, almost a little under the radar to me. But yeah, this this is absolutely a team. This is, I think, the highest ceiling and honestly, I would probably say highest floor team in the Pac-12.
1: I'm a little, I've said this a couple of times. I'm worried about the guard play just in terms of the offensive production. Hannah jump is fairly consistent, but yeah, Brink and Irafan, like they've had enough off nights and they've had enough nights offensively where they're scoring in the fifties and sixties that I'm, a, I'm not going to say concerned. I just puts me on pause for a heartbeat um, but I agree with you. It's I think it's Stanford and UCLA at the top. There's probably a slight like a half step down, Oregon State, USC, Colorado, another step down, Utah. But if any of those six teams made a run to the final four to the Elite Eight, heck, if multiple of them did, I wouldn't be surprised in the least. You, you know, by the way, who's in last place in the Pac-12? Arizona State or Oregon? Oregon, which is wild it's crazy wild like they have the number one recruiting class in 2020 so they should all be seniors now and none of them are there tina pow pow south carolina sydney parish indiana kylie watson's out with notre dame maddie shears at kentucky angela shelley i
2: think was in that class right she's at at Nebraska. Nebraska.
1: google is at ucla like you sit there and go oh it's easy for south carolina and yukon and stanford because they get all the best players Getting all the best players is only half the battle. Yeah, a third of the battle. Yeah, keeping them. One, yeah, in this era, keeping them, and then two, developing them. Like Oregon had the number two recruiting class in twenty twenty two. So Chance Gray still there, Grace Van Sluten still there. Just not to knock Oregon. I you know love the people in Eugene, great relationships with them. But just goes to show you like what these top 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 teams do every year: South Carolina, UConn, Stanford what Tennessee used to do. Like it's more than just getting the best players. And it's so much harder than just going out and getting next year, Sarah strong or whomever that is still undeclared. Like it goes to show. Yeah. Oregon was on top of the world four years ago. And now they're at the bottom of the pac 12. Like it can happen that quickly. And it just makes what team like South Carolina, as we can transition to the sec does all the more impressive because I thought Alabama might, maybe give him a game for a little bit and it was like 6 to 4 early in the first quarter and then turned it off by halftime because South Carolina SEC champions once again how do you beat the gamecocks
2: well first off about South Carolina and Don Staley to your point like this is what Don this is why Don Staley is the best coach in the country why she's going to be the runaway coach of the year or she should be is because of, of what you just said in terms of keeping players and developing players, when you look at this roster, obviously you have Tahina Pao who you mentioned from Oregon. She's a transfer. Malaysia Full Wiley, come off the bench, freshman. The rest of these players are sort of homegrown, developed. They were on the roster. And so people look at South Carolina last year and you say, okay, you lose the whole starting lineup to the WNBA. You're not going to be the best team anymore. You're still going to be good. Maybe you're going to be the eighth best team, whatever they were ranked in the preseason. But you had this whole entire bench of elite talent that was just ready to go. And the difference between Don Staley and everybody else is that Don Staley is such a coach that everyone wants to play for because of the relationships that she develops that all of these talented, talented freshmen and sophomores who are sitting behind Aaliyah Boston, who are sitting behind Bria Beal, stay. They don't, they don't all go decide... Mm-hmm. I, I want more playing time. I'm going to go somewhere else because I don't want to come off the bench. They say, we're going to trust the process. We're going to be the the focal point by the time we're junior, senior. And now look at how it's paying off for Camila Cardoso. Obviously, she transferred in a few years ago, but Pre Hall, uh, Ashlyn Watkins, Chloe Kitts, it's paying off. They're all putting up numbers and they're all winning. So what Don Staley does in terms of building those relationships and convincing players to stay and, and really developing them, even when they're coming off the bench and not getting a lot of playing time earlier, early in their career, I think, is the thing that separates her from everyone else. But to your question about how to beat them, you got to have depth because South Carolina is one of those teams outside of last night where, like you said, game was over at halftime. More often than not, it's actually not. When you look at South Carolina's scores, they really actually turn it on in the third or especially fourth quarter in a lot of their games. You see a lot of games. Where it's a single digit game at halftime, they win by 30. And that's because they wear you down. Again, this depth that they have, they always have so much depth. And for 40 minutes, by the time you get to minute number 35, they are still fresh. They are so much better than you and so much more ready to go than you in the fourth quarter. So you got to have depth. That's number one. Got to be able to play for 40 minutes. And you have to box out because South Carolina is so relentless on the offensive glass. The three games that they've had this year that were in single digits uh like we said utah was one of them lsu and then I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what the other one was right now uh those three teams got at least two-thirds of their rebounds on the defensive end uh north and carolina. most teams don't do that who was it north carolina that's right north carolina yeah those three teams all rebounded on the defensive end most teams don't against south carolina and so That is a critical... And most of the time, if you're deep and you box out, you're still not going to win. But if you want to have any chance, that's what you have to do.
1: I think I said this last week, like nine times out of 10, they can play exactly the way they want to and just bully you for 40 minutes and they'll win by 30 like they did last night. But what makes them scarier now, which I don't think they had as much last year, if they need to make eight threes in a game, they now have that capability with Pow Pow and Hall. Like Chloe Kitts is able to shoot a little bit. Full Wiley can come off the bench, shoot a little bit. Tessa Johnson is a good three point shooter. That added dimension now. It's like, all right, we can maybe like keep up for the most part and handle it down low. And then it's like, okay, well, now we're going to give up seven, eight threes. Well, all right, hat tip. Uh, to, and to go back to your point on keeping players, I think Letitia me here is the perfect example for every year since she was a freshman, I was waiting for her to transfer and she just never did because I thought she was all American caliber and she was just stuck behind Aliyah Boston. And then Camila Cardozo comes in first option off the bench. She's a top 10 WNBA draft pick who chose to stay for four years and super efficient in the 20 minutes a game that she'd get. She stuck around and got a ring and got drafted. And I think like she's just kind of the poster child for, what Dawn Staley and the culture that she's trying to build, and proof for your Bree halls, your Chloe Kits who was an early enrollee last year, your Ashton Watkins, like yeah, stick around, even if you don't get 35 minutes, like you could get at pick SEC or power school here, you have a chance to win a ring, and people will know if you're good, even if you get fewer minutes because you're just part of a better team. Um, anyone else in the SEC? Like LSU, we can talk about them. But any of these middle-tier teams, like Megan and I have kind of dismissed a lot of the conference for the most part. Tennessee, I think, is okay. Alabama's okay. Ole Miss couldn't really build off that momentum from last year's Sweet 16 run. Like Any of these middle-of-the-pack SEC teams do anything for you? Cause to be honest, I see a number of tournament teams. I don't see more than a maybe two- or three-second weekend teams.
2: No, I mean South Carolina, obviously Final Four team. LSU definitely a yeah. second weekend team. After that, I think LSU is in a tier of their own. They're clearly not number one. They're clearly not number three. Then you look past that. If there is going to be another second weekend team, people who have listened to me on podcasts for a while are going to be very surprised by this because I've I've thrown as much shade on this team as you have at Nebraska. But was once. I do think I, <laughs> I do think fair fair. I've I've thrown <laughs> shade much more than once at the rest this of team. Just, but I do think sure. Tennessee. <laughs> okay, I, I do think tennessee can be a dangerous team i'm i'm not sure that they will make the second weekend but i think they have that potential i think they're playing better now and obviously you have probably a lottery pick in Rikia jackson so in a lot of matchups you're going to have the best player on the floor and now they have the last few weeks tamari key who has started i believe the last five or six games has really uh, been working her way back this year from those scary blood clots that she had yeah. uh, and was only playing whatever five, six, seven minutes a game off the bench for a while Was kind of ramping it up. And in these last couple of weeks, she's been able to play 15, 20, 25 minutes in a lot of these games and has finally been in the starting lineup. And I think she's been a big deal for them uh, on the interior on both sides and, and someone who has has really given them sort of another dimension when it comes to rim protection when it comes to rebounding, things like that, and obviously just basketball aside, it's great to see her, you know, healthy and thriving on the court again. But w- with her anchoring down low, this is a team who I think uh, I, I'm not going to say that they're a second weekend team. But if you asked me, if you told me there's three SEC teams in the Sweet 16, you asked me who's the third one, I would say probably Tennessee.
1: Yeah, if there's an like an eight nine seed. If you're a one seed, you don't want to see in the second round. Tennessee's probably my answer. Um, obviously, we'll see how the bracket shakes out. But the team that I feel like, yeah, they, they no showed at Alabama a couple weeks ago. That's really their only hiccup the last few weeks. Losing, like you said, against South Carolina. They hung with them for three quarters. Couldn't quite do it for four, but you know, I, an impressive 11-point loss if that exists. Uh, Big game this weekend against LSU. I think we'll learn a lot about the Lady Vols, who I think are safely in the field at this point, but have an opportunity to stamp a a marquee victory against a Tigers team. Probably three weeks ago, I said I'm officially out on the Tigers. um, Turn the ball over too much. Don't play defense well enough. And they disappear from three too much for my liking. So I'm out on them. I want to hear your takes on a team that's still, I mean, if they made the final four, I wouldn't be too shocked. Um, but just what, what are your takes on the preseason? Number one, that's just kind of been hanging out for a while now in that like 10 to 13 range in the polls.
2: Yeah, this is a team I think has a high ceiling for sure. And a, a final four ceiling because of the talent that they have. and And sometimes the talent sort of finally rises to the expectations in March when it doesn't all year, they're, Every now and then you see teams that do that. But your point that you made about disappearing from three is why I think they're also very vulnerable if they're not hitting that ceiling, because this is a team like in, in March when you're playing a team that you're favored against the best way to lose that game is to make no threes and have that team happen to have their best shooting night of the year on the night that they play you. And like we saw when LSU lost to Auburn, they made a grand total of zero threes, zero, Zero, which is almost unheard of in 2024, especially for a power conference team and a high level power conference team to make zero threes in an entire game. But that's what they did. And that opens up the door to teams playing you these different defenses that can really throw you off, especially when you don't have very much time to prepare in settings like March And that's what we saw with Iowa-South Carolina last year in the Final Four is that Iowa committed to this defense where they were going to wave off Raven Johnson. And uh, it worked. And, And credit to Raven, she got in the gym, worked on her shot. She's a good shooter now. And like you said, South Carolina has a lot of shooters now, and you can't play them that way anymore. But in the Final Four last year, it worked. And you could see a team do what Auburn did to LSU. Uh, I think early in the tournament, they're not going to lose in the first round, but this is a team that if if a team decides to really commit to a pretty extreme defense against them and just force them to beat you from the outside, they might just not do it. They might just not be able to beat you from the outside. And if Angel Reese and Nisa Morrow aren't able to go for 30 and 15 each on that night. And the other team is hitting from the outside you're vulnerable, so I definitely agree with you. I also think this is a team that on the right night can completely punish you on the boards and in the interior, and maybe there's nothing you can do about it if if you if it's not the right matchup, if they get a team who doesn't have the size and the physicality to match up with that, but there are definitely teams who can beat them early in the tournament.
1: Last night's kind of a perfect example. They beat Auburn by five. Angel Reese 25 20 they made two threes give me some more five points they won but again, Angel Reese can put up 25 and 20 but you make two threes and you don't get a little bit of help like Auburn outside the bubble I think somewhat comfortably and this is a team that they've really struggled against twice so I just I think there's a ceiling that I don't think any of us really expected. LSU to have in the preseason. I will say they've started to move Haley Van Lith off the ball a little more. I think they've looked a little bit better since she stopped being the quote unquote point guard all the time. But that's that's been a weird fit all year, right? Like it just it hasn't seemed to click.
2: Yeah, no, you're right, and I I think uh, this is where we see, you know, not to get get into it too deeply, but. Dawn Staley is a better X's and O's coach than Kim Mulkey, just flat out. And and Kim Mulkey <laughs> was able to bring in a lot of talent, you know, and give her credit for that. But she has not – a lot of coaches would take the talent that LSU has, I think, and turn it into the best team in the country. And she just hasn't because, like you said, Haley Van Lith has been a weird fit with what they've tried to do. Um, and I love Michaela Williams. I think Michaela Williams has been – awesome as them She'd for great. freshman. She's year. she's
1: kind of hidden because Juju and Hidalgo have been so good, but any other year she's probably national freshman of the year.
2: Yeah, no question and of course playing on a team with with the star power around her doesn't help either in terms of uh, her getting her shine, but at the end of the day, like this is a team that shouldn't have the floor that they have and they still again, we saw them come within 6 of South Carolina, it's the closest I believe anyone's been in them. I think The Utah and North Carolina losses, I don't know if you have them up. I want to say they were nine, seven, eight, nine. So LSU came as close as anybody to beating South Carolina, and that's what I'm talking about with their ceiling. And if if LSU went on another run to the final four, would I be surprised? Absolutely not. I I think they can do
1: that. But
2: like you said, the fifth lost in the second round,
1: would you be like totally stunned at the same time? No. Right, exactly. Um, quickly, we're going a little long here. Do you trust anyone in the Big 12? Oklahoma is still in first, did lose last week. Texas is ranked in the top five. Anyone in the Big 12 that you think, that you trust to go on a an Elite Eight Final Four type run in the Big 12?
2: I wouldn't put any Big 12 teams in the Final Four. If anyone's going to do it, I think it would still be Texas. And if they had Rory Harmon, I obviously would feel yes. a lot more strongly about that. But Madison Booker has stepped up quite a bit since Rory Harmon went out. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the offensive end in particular, I think. You know, we've seen Texas defense maybe have some lapses, uh, especially in the last couple weeks or so here. And we know Vic Schaefer is a defensive coach. So he's, I'm sure, trying to figure that out as best as he can. Uh, Oklahoma is one who, if they made a deep run, it wouldn't necessarily shock me because of the way they play. I don't think they're like a top, 16 team necessarily although they have been very very impressive in the last couple months after what was an extremely bad bad loss just, to southern yes i was gonna yeah. say bad start to the season including that loss and they really turned it around and are have actually been playing some semblance of defense lately which is not a jenny Baranchek staple like it is with Vic schaefer but the way that they run and shoot the three that's the type of team where some nights they're just going to go 17 for 29 from three and there's nothing you can do about it. And when that if that happens, if they get hot in March, that's a team that it could really snowball. But I wouldn't say I trust them to go on a Elite Eight Final Four run. Texas a little bit more, but still probably not. I think the Pac-12, we could see the Pac-12 had Three elite eight teams and the Big 12 had none. Maybe the Pac sure. 12 has three and the Big 12 has one. I definitely think this team and Kansas State is is another one when they're healthy, when Aoka Lee is out there. I do think they have that potential as well to go on a deep run. We saw them get up to number two in the rankings earlier this year, uh, but obviously we've seen them exposed a little bit uh, in the last couple of weeks as well. So it is Big 12 is kind of tough to figure out.
1: Yeah. Texas, they force 20 turnovers a game. They get like 40% of their offensive rebounds. That travels. So if someone is going to go on a run, I think it's the Longhorns. I also think I'm out on K-State. I think they, they burned, their star burned brightly. A little too soon. Like, I think they peaked last month. Ayoka Lee is back. I'll give her, you know, it's fine. She showed rust against UCF, but still they should be able to handle Well, she UCF didn't play in that
2: UCF game, actually. She missed, she had an ankle injury, so she missed that game.
1: The one on She Sunday. came back.
2: Uh, I believe it was Sunday. Yeah, she came back for a game and then uh, got hurt again, missed the UCF game, then came back again in the, in the last game. So, the UCF game, although I think even without Aoka Lee, beating UCF by two was mildly concerning. If you're a Kansas State fan, right. I
1: think you should be able to beat them by more than two, even without her. But she did miss that game. That's right. That she, I was thinking of the first game back earlier in the week where she put up like 20 points, but it was inefficient. Um, in a win. So, either way, if she's back. Maybe that changes things, but at this point, it's getting late to not be 100%. Um, so I think I'm I just think I'm out on K-State, and then I don't trust any of these other Big 12 teams to go on a massive run. Um, very quickly, UConn will win the Big East again. They're the number one seed. They'll clinch it this weekend when they go to DePaul. Paige Beckers, she's coming back next year. Any initial thoughts? And I think this is the first of – like, I don't – there's lots of people who could come back and we don't know anything outside of Beckers coming back. I don't see Caitlin Clark coming back. I don't see Cameron Brink coming back. I think this might be the most high profile one that we get that's coming back for next year.
2: I agree. I agree. Most high profile. I think this was the least surprising as well because Paige sort of hinted at it already. And then when AZ Fudd got hurt, you knew that they wanted to play a full year together
1: you know how many games uh, I mean, they played together? They've been on the same roster for three 17? years. Okay. Look at you. Is that is that the answer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's, continue. I interrupted you. Not
2: enough. It's not enough. And and uh, I mean that's not that's like half of a season, total. And they've been on the same roster what three or four years now? Three years. Three years. Yeah. Three years? And they haven't even played a full equivalent of a year together. So that one was not as surprising. I would definitely be much more surprised if Caitlin Clark came back. Uh, her boyfriend, Connor McCaffrey works for the Pacers. And I think she's done all that she's wants to do at Iowa at this point, other than maybe win a national championship, which we'll see if that happens. Cameron Brink, same deal. I think she's out, but again, no one would shock me because of how NIO works and, and how the sort of resources are at, at the, Level division one compared to WNBA, like you're giving up charter flights, this and that. There are some reasons to come back, so nothing would shock me necessarily, but I do definitely lean with you that these other high profile players are probably coming out and paid. We'll, we'll see someone who's maybe a first rounder, projected first
1: rounder, come back to school, but no one is high profile as Paige. Like, honestly, I think that the next high profile player that I'm curious about and I think might stay is Ali Edwards to be perfectly honest. Like if Paige yeah. is coming back and AZ Fudd comes back healthy, which admittedly she hasn't been healthy since her junior year of high school consistently. Um, but I, she's the one I think be on the fence about whether she comes back. Um, last question for you. Today's a big day. I live in Winston-Salem. Institution in Winston-Salem, the Pancake Jamboree. We do it every year within our office. If you follow the college baseball version of CSN, the... Th- 3D show, Kyle uh one in 2022, was upended last year by someone in our office. Question for you. This jamboree, we go across the street. It's with one ticket. All you can eat pancakes and sausage. Money is no object, Calvin Wetzel. How many pancakes can you down? And you have <laughs> 630 a.m. p.m. So you can go whenever you want and stay as long as you want. How oh, are talk- do you down? talk about like normal size like like Uh, i want to say that yeah like the size of like a dessert plate size and they're not overly thick
2: i gotcha okay oh that's a good question that's a good are we uh, assuming that i don't care how i feel the next day
1: yes and you 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 go in knowing all right i need to maybe like skip breakfast because i'm gonna go and house some pancakes
2: yeah right yeah uh i'm gonna say whoo I would hate myself later for sure, but you know, if I if there was something on the line and I, I had, I don't know, I was I was winning something, or I had a reason to do this. I think I would be capable of maybe uh, putting up like a thirty ball. I'll say thirty. Wow, I think I could do it. I think I would. I might throw up later, but I think I could do it. I mean there, this is not, not a contest. I wouldn't man. do it fast. Like, I'm not a speed eater to be clear. Oh, no, that's fine so this is not a hot dog we're contest. we are not these things.
1: Yeah, if you, you know, if, if you puke and rally, like keep going, man. Yeah, no rules <laughs> here. That is that is spectacular. Um Calvin had a lot of fun. Thank you for filling in for Megan. Tell us, where can we find you? Where can we hear you? Where can we read you? You can follow him on Twitter at C Wetzel 31.
2: Yeah, so that's where I'm at on social media. Uh, I have a podcast regularly with her hoop stats uh, once a week with Karina Mustafa, who does an excellent job. It's called Coast to Coast. So tune into that. Uh, And then just WNBA content there, right? Yeah, WNBA, uh, college, the whole deal. Even cover a little bit of probably international when we get into the Olympics. Uh, So just women's basketball all year round on there. Uh, And yeah, whatever
1: content I'm putting out through her hoop stats, go follow. Yeah, good stuff. Games this weekend USC Colorado tonight, USC Utah on Sunday. Uh, If you like Creighton Villanova tomorrow and then LSU Tennessee to highlight the weekend. Megan will be back next week where it'll be March when we talk. So enjoy the final week of February. Talk to you next week.